Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey there, and welcome to another illegal motion. I'm uh, not the professor. Uh, the professor was traveling, got busy with stuff, so we threw a uh, quick audible into the uh, the play calling sheet here, Coach. So I am Josh in the Second City, joined as always with Coach Corey Burton. And we're going to jump right into some uh, some quick slants. I know you want to uh, talk about someone from your neck of the woods. Oh yeah, absolutely. I uh, got a we uh, we were ousted from the playoffs this past weekend. Uh, we we traveled to Memphis, as I said, and as I said last podcast, and uh, we ran into Dylan Mitchell. Um, he's an Oregon commit from White Station High School in Memphis, Tennessee. He averages five touchdowns a game. Well, he certainly met his average um, Friday night. He scored five touchdowns on us, and that and my one takeaway from that is that guy's fast, and he can make you look pretty silly, pretty fast. And he scored one. He scored one touchdown. That was uh, that was called back, and then. Uh, he just went ahead and scored again on the very next play, but he uh, we had him we had him hemmed in. This was like inside the ten. We had him hemmed in to the sideline, guys surrounding him. He jukes once, jukes twice. Next thing you know, he's reversing field and running towards the other pylon, and he runs untouched after that. He makes all eleven guys miss on that same on that play, and uh, it's impressive. Um, to be honest, Josh, I've never seen speed quite like that, and it was it was it was amazing thing to see. Um, even though we lost 49-14, it was uh, you know getting to see somebody as as gifted as Dylan Mitchell is, and, and talking to him after the game, one of the nicest kids in the state of Tennessee. He he gets my vote for Mr. Football. Um, kid's a class act. He ended his commitment, or he ended his recruiting process a year ago. Committed to Oregon. Said he hates the attention, just wanted to get it over with and make his decision, and he did so um, a year ago. So he, he's going to be an Oregon Duck, and he'll fit in quite nicely in Eugene. Uh, on a side note, Josh, uh, another highlight from the game, we actually executed a great trick play. You want to hear what it is? Would love to. Well, the trick play is uh, we threw a bubble screen out to the right, um, but the, the only thing that made it different from a typical bubble screen is that we bounced the ball to our one of our backup quarterbacks, who then acted like he was mad at the quarterback for bouncing in the ball. Then he turns around and chucks it 66 yards, and we score a touchdown. <laughs> That's awesome. So, yeah, I was pretty excited about that. I, we worked on it all week at practice. I'm, I'm, I'm glad, it, glad it worked out in our favor. I was kind of nervous when the ball was in the air. And nobody was around our receiver, but what can you do? It was fun. Yeah, it. But, uh, uh, you know, it's good. It was a good experience, and and so, yeah. I always have to pause a second when people say trick plays. Uh, growing up, Coach Hayden Fry always called them exotics, and with his wonderful rural Texan accent, it was always funny. He'd say in in interviews, he'd be like, "All right, we're gonna throw a few, few exotics into it." Um, well, my uh, my quick slant is uh, just kind of feeling your temperature, especially being uh, being a Georgia fan, being in the South, and that is 
the SEC unde- undeniably dominated the uh, the BCS era. No way to, to really tie a bow on it. We all know they did. But um, the Ohio State defending champions the year before that, Florida State, first college football poll, had three SEC teams in the top four. Fast forward a year from then, not the same case. Only one team from the SEC made the tournament last year. Looks like that's going to be the case this year. Uh, Six ranked teams from the Big Ten, two undefeated teams that ties the Big 12. Uh, it, It feels like Alabama's carrying the banner, to me at least. It, it seems like a lot of the, the cachet's gone from the depth of that conference. And are my Big Ten blinders on, Coach, or, or do people kind of get the sense of that down in the area? Well, I mean, it, it's a down year, no doubt. Uh, it's, it, and I think a lot of it's attributed to quarterback play. I think you saw a loss of a lot of great quarterbacks in, in the conference, and, and you're starting to kind of see that, starting to kind of catch up. Um, also, the defense has improved greatly in, in this conference, and and you see, especially Alabama, I, you know, and, and I stand by the statement I made earlier that this is not Bama's most talented team that, they, that they've ever fielded. Uh, they're certainly playing like it. They're certainly playing above their heads because if uh, I was talking to somebody about this earlier, if you put the 2012 Alabama bunch against this year's bunch, 2012 blows them out, and it's it's no contest. The 2012 Bama team was probably Saban's most talented, um, arguably in his uh, in his tenure at Alabama. Um, LSU, I thought they were going to provide depth for. The, for the conference and they really just came out flat against Alabama and I, I don't know if it was a game plan issue I don't know I don't know if Bama just you know I, I didn't realize Bama was that far superior to them up front and, and it really showed Fournette just couldn't couldn't get an inch um, just seemed like they were all over them all night long the defensive line for Alabama dominated uh, um, we'll get to more of that later uh I mean, Georgia being down certainly doesn't help the conference. Florida, Florida's on the rise. Um, you know, they'll likely provide depth probably next year as far as the rankings go. But, I mean, there, there is something to it. I mean, the talent level around the country is picked up. You know, Clemson is, is, is competing talent-wise with the SEC. Ohio State certainly is. Urban Meyer brought his, you know, brought his style of play from the SEC to the Big Ten. Uh, you're starting to see that kind of spread around the conference his influence there um you know with six six teams being ranked from the big 10 you just see them trying to compete with with ohio state and and they're starting to kind of pull that talent you know they're starting to kind of farm the southeast a little bit better and 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 you're starting to see some better efforts in the recruiting game so you know i i like the direction of college football is going you know being an sec guy you sit there and say, "Oh yeah, well my conference dominating." You know the SEC is dominant. SEC is dominant. I, I want to see more parity in college football. I'm just a football fan, and I like to see teams play well. And I like to see a lot of a variety of different teams, you know, be in the mix for the national championship. So I, I, I like what Clemson has done. I like what Ohio State's done. I like what Michigan State's done. I like what you know some of these other Big Ten teams, some of these other Big Twelve. And, Pac-12 teams have gotten themselves in the mix and playing some good football. You know, I think it's good for the game, Josh, and, and, and I'm excited about it. Well, we talked a lot about Alabama 
right now, so let's dive right into that game. Uh, I wish he was here, but I had a funny text to Matt um, when we were getting ready for our Thursday show. That was kind of a cool two-parter thing, but uh, we were talking about the game, and Matt said that, uh, and talking about LSU, he said, I'm riding Fournette into the ground, and I responded, well, when he has 75 yards with a 2.6 average and Bama wins by 24, I'll be easy on my told yous. And who knew I was being generous for for Leonard Fournette's day? Obviously, the game starts and ends with 19 carries, 31 yards, 1.6 average. I didn't think Brandon Harris had it in him to win a game when the running game got shut down. They played right into Alabama's strength, and this was just a tough matchup for LSU without a doubt. But uh, my God, Alabama looks good. They did. I mean, dominant on both fronts. Uh, probably the most dominant they've been this year on the line of scrimmage. I mean, they just simply put their roast to the occasion. Uh, Derrick Henry, I think, uh, jumped ahead of Fournette. Not not, not necessarily in the stat book because Fournette still leads by a hundred something yards, um, but. 38 carries, 210 yards, and scoring three times. Uh, I mean, Derrick Henry's just starting to really take over this team. You know, he's starting to really get Alabama to play at a high level, and, and, and Bama fans are, are excited to see it, especially coming down the stretch of this season. Uh, if they, if they want to make a playoff push, it's going to be, you know, they're going to do it on the back of Derrick Henry. Uh, for LSU, uh, very disappointing. Uh, and, and, Josh, I didn't know you were such a soothsayer. Um, pardon me, I'm, I'm reading uh, Julius Caesar in uh, in our English classes. So the soothsayer said, "Beware the Ides of March." Well, LSU LSU needed to beware the Ides of November um, because <laughs> they're not playing they're not playing good football right now. I I didn't think coming into this matchup that they would get pushed around like they did, but my goodness, you know they say games are one up front. Well, this one was definitely one up front, and the score being thirty to sixteen. Um, it was probably more of a blowout than the, than the score indicates. Uh, you know, obviously LSU battled back and, and kind of, you know, got the game close, but it was never really close. Sorry, pop-up ad. <laughs> um, we got a little plug there for a second. Uh, but, you know, the, the game never – it was 13-10 to 10 at one point, but the game was never really that close. I don't think Alabama never – relinquish control of it Josh and you may you may see it differently but you know they just you know this is probably one of the simplest games to break down because Alabama won the won the battle of the trenches and they didn't just win it they dominated it and, and that was the story of the game well I was reading one of my favorite things is to read the good old SB Nation comment boards after teams have difficult losses because everyone everyone is uh Monday morning quarterback and everyone wants the coach fired. And there was some some good stuff about Les Miles. And he's lost four in a row now to Alabama. And LSU fans are kind of in a tricky spot because they don't want to turn into Nebraska. and But they kind of feel like they're teetering on the edge of becoming... Georgia with Mark Richt, where they win a lot of games, but they don't win the big one. And in the SEC West, the big one is always going to be Alabama. And, uh, I mean, they were making arguments that, by SB Nation standards, were pretty level-headed. 
What do you think about Les Miles' tenure? Obviously, he had the high of a national title, but it has been several years now. Well, I mean, you know, you got to be careful not to overreact based on one game. Um, this team is still, in, you know, pretty young. And for them to rise all the way up to number two in the country, you know, by preseason standards, shocked me. Uh, I, I thought they were still a year away. Um, you know, I think Les Miles has done a, a tremendous job at LSU. Uh, they're starting to kind of, you know, he's starting to kind of toe that line, uh, the same line that Mark Rick is towing, and, and, and that's just, you know, is the message getting stale? Um, for Les Miles, I don't think so much uh, as I do for Mark Rick. I think Mark Rick is uh, is nearing the end of his rope. I think they're in two. I think they're in two pretty different scenarios. I think, you know. At the end of the day, LSU was still ranked number two in the country at this point, uh, and they weren't overrated. I just think they they ran into, you know, I think they just played poorly last night. I, I don't think they're a poor team. I think there's, a, you know, there's a difference. If you're going to draw that comparison, I think there's a difference in how Georgia plays in these big games and how frequently they do it versus LSU. They can't seem to get over the hump against Alabama, but it just seems like in every other big game they seem to rise to the occasion. Um, so I'm not so quick to jump all over Les Miles just yet. You know, I want to see what he does down the stretch here. Because uh, Alabama, you know, Auburn's not a pushover game. Auburn, you know, they're, they're getting better. They're improving each and every day. Um, so that's not a pushover game for, for Alabama by any stretch. So, you know, they, they got, you know, they got some work to do. Uh, they got some work to do in the SEC championship. LSU could find themselves in a good New Year's Six Bowl. Um, and, you know, as a coach, you, you want your coach to just have them in the mix and win one every five, six, seven years. You know, I think it's unrealistic unrealistic to expect it every year. But, you know, for him to have them in the mix, you know, I think that's important. And I think he's done a tremendous job of keeping them in the mix in his entire tenure. But that being said, he's got to find a way to get a win or two over Bama Get this series going back in the right direction. Get some of the heat off of him, um, and I think he'll be just fine. Well, let's go from one Southern team that appears to have their tournament's hopes dashed and go to a Midwestern team, and that is Michigan State stumbling on the road at Nebraska, Mm -hmm. a game that no one really, really saw coming. Obviously, we can talk about the controversial call, but I wanted to, to rewind something that uh, that led to it, and that is some questionable play calling by a very reliable staff. I'm a big D'Antonio supporter. I, I'm stunned that they did this, but um, Michigan State scores a touchdown um, in the fourth quarter. With about eight minutes left or so, um, and or sorry, less than that. Wow, four minutes shows how well I read the stat sheet. Now f- about four minutes left uh, to go up twelve, and they mm-hmm. yeah. Then they gave up a touchdown to make it thirty-eight thirty-three. Their next drive, super conservative, three runs. Nebraska uses their last two timeouts. And they punt with under a minute left. But you got Connor Cook, probably the best quarterback in the league. He was 23 of 37, 335 yards, four touchdowns, one pick. 
9.1 average. Why do you not go aggressive there? Why, why do you think that being conservative and taking away timeouts when first downs wins you the game? Why do you get out of what you're doing, Coach? What, like, what, what's the thought process there? Well, I mean, the thought process is I, I guess you want to uh, – I mean, I guess you want to kill the clock and, and, and make sure that, that you know, you, you make them, you know, panic a little bit because, uh, you know, you think that they might get themselves into a turnover or something like that. But, um, you know, for me, I, I, don't, I don't think I necessarily go away from my aggressiveness. You know, I, I think we got to do what got us there and, uh, make, you know – for me, you got to pick up the you got to pick up the first down, cause them to burn all their timeouts, and just really hang on to the ball as long as you possibly can. So, you know, <laughs> I think it's you know just one of those things where it just getting too conservative can can come back and bite you. And and I, I didn't like it. I, I agree with you, Josh. I thought it was a little you know I thought it was a little too conservative. Um, you got to try to find a way to pick up the first down. And then once you pick up a couple first downs, then you can get super conservative because you've eaten more clock. So um, that being said, you know, who's to know the scenario of the game? How, you know, who's to know the feel of the game for, for the Spartans? Maybe they felt like they could run it three times and, and move the chains. Maybe they felt good about their run game. That's the only possible explanation that I can think of as to why the offensive coordinator uh, decided to call the game the way he did. Um there's got to be another, you know. There's got to be more factors into it. I'm sure the offensive linemen talked them into uh, running it three times because so they felt like they could pick up the first down. So, you know, uh, I don't necessarily agree with it. I wouldn't have done it that way. Um, that's not, you know, right or wrong. Just I don't agree with it. And I think they should have went aggressive. Yeah, I think you need to play to your strengths, regardless of where you are at in the 60-minute game and. Michigan State's strength is Connor Cook, and their weakness is passing defense. They got shredded by Tommy Armstrong. Um, but but let's yeah, well. go let's go to the the big bugaboo, and that that's the officials. And I don't see how he got pushed out. I think that was a blown call. Yeah, it definitely was a blown call. I mean, you know, I it's just it's a head scratcher. I mean, how do you miss that? You know, you can't miss that in that situation. He wasn't pushed out. You know. He came down with it. You can't miss that call. You really can't. Um, but uh, that being said, you leave it in the hands of the officials. They're always going to screw you. Make the plays earlier in the game that would have that would have won it for you. And you don't have to worry about the officials blowing that call. Um, but uh, you know that's no excuse for the officials screwing up. And and uh, you know it led to a Michigan State loss I, that that might have jeopardized their their one and only shot in the uh in the playoffs so who knows uh terrible call though very very terrible call yeah they they still have they still have a few weeks sliver of hope because they can take on ohio state that'll obviously be a marquee win uh penn state i know lost to northwestern but they they are improved so that's a little bit of a resume builder and then they'll have the big 10 title game if they win out Ohio State made it as a one-loss team. The SEC champ is most likely going to have one loss. Uh, the Pac-12 champ will most likely have one loss. So, um, you know, the Clemson or the Big 12 champ will probably be the only undefeated teams 
then that's what Michigan State has to be hoping for. Um, but Speaking of Big 12 champs. Yeah, that was the, the next game I wanted to go to, and uh, this is coach speak, but you got to win over the win the turnover margin, and that was the tale of this game because every other statistical measure, TCU wins this game by, what do you think, three or four touchdowns? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, for, for TCU, it's a tough sledding for, uh, for Trevon Boykin. Four interceptions never, you know, again, win the turnovers. Um, but uh, TCU... You know, they didn't go down without a fight. They gained 663 yards, but they were held scoreless in the red zone twice. Um, and you can't do that either. You know, you got to take advantage of when you get in the red zone, especially against a team as talented as Oklahoma State. you got to score when you get the chance to score because guess what? Oklahoma State, and led by Mason Rudolph and his 350 yards, 352 yards passing with five touchdowns. Um, you know, if you lose the turnover margin and you don't score, Reds, uh, you're not doing the things that's going to help you win, and you're going to get beat 49 to 29. So, um, you know, Oklahoma State certainly put themselves in great position to finish the season undefeated. Uh, Bedlam just got really interesting at this <laughs> point. Um, I'm excited to see that game. So, I guess. It seems like you're leaning Cowboys. Are is that who you're taking now with three games left? Seems like what? Seems like you're picking the Cowboys. Is that yeah? Your... I, yeah, I, I think. I mean, every time I watch it, it just seems like they're lighting up the scoreboard, and uh, it just you know I don't know how far this uh, shootout style of play is going to take them, but. You know, certainly impressive at, at, at the rate at which they score and, and, and how hard they play and just how tough of a matchup they've become. Um, I mean, you know, the defense forcing four turnovers, that's, you know, that's something that that's developed over the course of the season because at one point we were thinking, oh, Oklahoma State can't sustain this level of scoring without help from their defense, and they're certainly getting help from their defense, and, and their defense is providing them opportunities to light up the scoreboard and for Mason Rudolph to throw five touchdowns and uh, a gazillion yards. So um, I like the Cowboys going forward. Um, it'll be a really interesting contest um, in Bedlam. I can't remember. Josh, you may be able to help me out um, if they're home or away against Oklahoma. Um, they've still got Baylor, which Baylor without, uh, without their starting quarterback, that's going to be a tough one. Um, that's still going to be tough no matter how you slice it. Um, they got Baylor and Oklahoma coming up. I think they can win those two games with the momentum they got going. So I like the Cowboys. I like how they're built this year. I like what they're doing. I like how they're playing. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what they can do uh, in this playoff run, I, I guess I'll call it, uh, to see if they can they can get the job done. Well, I've been an Oklahoma State skeptic, and this game – really changed nothing for me. I mean, they beat Texas, Kansas State, and West Virginia by a combined 12 points. And, you know, you mentioned it, the 663 yards. TCU outgained them by over 200 yards. They had 37 minutes of time of possession, the the Horned Frogs did. They had 36 first downs to 16. Oklahoma State went 2 of 11 on third down. Outside of those four turnovers, this is a route the other direction and so uh i'm i'm not gonna believe oklahoma state until i see them in the final four and 
Baylor didn't impress me either with their Kansas State game, so I think I'm going to go with Oklahoma, and based on <clears throat> the Bedlam series being 84-18-7 in favor of the Sooners, I, uh, I sort of like that bet. I feel like history is on my side. Yeah, we'll see more. We'll see more of what they got here coming as they uh, as they play Baylor. Um, but you know, I, I think what you know, yeah, the defense gives up a lot of yards, but you know, they're starting to force turnovers. They're starting to you know disrupt, and then they're just making opportunistic plays. You know, with with that, and and then that's kind of what draws me to this team because you know they take advantage of their opportunities, and 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 they just you know even though they give up a lot of yards, they 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 tend to make things happen back there and they tend to make big plays and, and they you know I guess you can live and die on the big play um, and you can and it can turn on you just like that but you know with that rivalry game I, I think it's something they're going to get up for this year they're going to see they're going to see the blood in the water and I think they're going to attack and I think you know this that's going to be the best defensive game they've played all season um, I think you know and we can preview that when it comes but uh, I'm really excited to see that game now uh, wasn't originally because I didn't know what Oklahoma State was going to have. I didn't even really know what Oklahoma was going to have. But both teams look like they're they're on the rise and they're going to they're going to clash in an epic battle in one of and what is looking like going to be one of the more epic bedlam matchups. Yeah, very seldom are they ranked <clears throat> super highly together, and uh, if it plays out as we expect, they could both be top ten teams by the time that comes around. So next up on our docket, we went from one super exciting shootout to another exciting shootout. This one involving a little bit of overtime shenanigans, and that's, of course, overtime. Arkansas's uh, very interesting game against Ole Miss that most likely eliminates Ole Miss's chance at making the SEC title game. Of course, if Alabama were to trip up, Ole Miss gets their tiebreaker again back as they would both have two conference losses. Of course, in that scenario, they would also need LSU to drop a game, but Ole Miss will get to play them so they could, you know, take care of that themselves. Who knows? Um, but I wanted to, obviously, you being a coach, break down that last play, but I also, uh, I was also curious about a certain distinction in the rules. So obviously that happened on a fourth down. We know you can't advance a fumble mm-hmm. on a fourth down. Since he clearly intentionally lateraled it, even though it hit the ground, that then trumps the fumble rule, I'm assuming. Is that how it works out? Yeah, because I, I think it – I don't know. That's, that's, that's where the gray area is. I mean, you know, he just flings it backwards and, and it drops on the ground. I guess you can – you know, because the same thing happened in the Miami game. I guess, yeah, I guess the rules go out when, when it's a lateral. I've never – never really investigated that rule to be honest with you because I've never had to um I guess this situation presents itself but um <laughs> it was uh it was definitely one of those uh, horseshoes up the rear end type plays <laughs> for for Arkansas uh throwing up a prayer I didn't think in a million years that the referees thought it was gonna be advanced for a first down I to be honest I didn't think they knew what to do I, I didn't you know it that may be the rule, and that may apply to laterals as well on fourth down. But you know, what referee is going to make that call in that scenario, <laughs> especially if they don't know? Um, I'm, I'm certainly not. If I'm a referee, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, uh, <laughs> uh, well, all right, first down. Well, obviously, for the rebels' perspective, uh, uh, 
disconcerting trend continues. They're... Their defense, 23 points allowed per game. That's not terrible. Tied for 40th. That's not terrible, but this was an electric defense. The Land Sharks, a year ago, still have Kandichi, you know, still have plenty of talent there. Why the step back? I don't know. Uh, I mean, I guess it's just, I, I'm not real sure. Maybe, you know, maybe the offense has something to do with it. If, if the offense is off, and the defense is on the field a lot, and they get gassed, and the land sharks become beached whales. I don't know. <laughs> um, it just it. I don't, I don't know. I, I haven't. I haven't gotten a, a feel of when they when they play well and when they don't play well. Um, but I, I think a lot of it has to do with the offense being, you know, time of possession for for the offense, and and how much opportunity they're giving this defense to to rest and and be off the field, especially in a matchup against a very tough and physical team in, in Arkansas. Um, you know, I, I think teams like Arkansas give Ole Miss fits maybe. Um, that's, that, could be another, that could be another thing. You know, they just get physically beat up up front because Arkansas is very, a very downhill power team and they're just going to mash you into eternity. Uh, and then throw one over your, every once in a while. Uh, you know, I don't think Ole Miss matches up well with that. Um, you know, I think they found lightning in a bottle against Alabama. I think they just got up for that game, uh, and there wasn't going to be anything that was going to deny them from from beating Alabama. But in any other game played in that particular style, I just don't think they match up well. Um, and I said in the pregame preview or preseason preview, I said it anytime we've matched up Ole Miss with somebody. You know, I think there's a little bit of softness to them just because of the style they play um, and their team philosophy as far as like spread it and and sling it all over the yard. That that can that can definitely help you in light of the scoreboard when you're on. When you're off, your defense is going to be gassed and, and the team's going to run it up on you. So uh, I think it's a combination of all of that stuff. I, I think they're a little bit soft. I think their offense just wasn't on the field enough. And, and I think they were tired. And then when they got tired, they stopped making plays. And when they stopped making plays, their offense has to go back and, 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 and go to work and score quick touchdowns. And when you score quick touchdowns, you still don't get much of a break. So either or, if they're having to score fast to keep up with Arkansas, you know, that's you know that's another thing that's going to hurt their defense. So a lot of factors going into it. Um, I didn't think Ole Miss was for real from the, from the get-go. Um, I was kind of surprised that they were still kind of hanging around, but – um, it wasn't Arkansas that I thought was going to trip them. I thought it was going to be I thought it was going to be LSU, to be quite honest. And LSU still might come out and pound them, but you know, Arkansas, you know, they're they're that pesky team that just doesn't die. Yeah, I wanted to talk the talk about the Hogs. They started one and three. Um, things were not looking good. They won a battle in Tennessee to to kind of get back on track and. Yeah. They're uh, they're four and one since really letting Brandon Allen fling it all over the field. Um, do, do they add to LSU's misery next week and then they can play spoiler and really uh, screw up Mississippi State's improving bowl prospects as the Bulldogs climb the the AP rankings and then they finish with Missouri. Like they're five and four right now. Do they get up to eight wins? Do you think? Uh, I think they're going to finish seven and five. I think uh, LSU is going to be the only one they lost. They lose. I think LSU uh, 
you know, LSU is going to come back and Fournette's going to have a going to have a field day against him. Um, I just think they're going to be overwhelmed and overmatched in that game. Uh, they'll play tough early and then they'll they'll kind of falter as Fournette just kind of grinds the game down and, and just kind of makes a few big plays on him. But as far as like Mississippi State and I think they'll pound Missouri. I don't think Missouri's going to. You know, <laughs> no. there's too much distraction going on. They were already kind of a pitiful team to begin with. Uh, you know, Mississippi State. I I, I think they're gonna they they just they're just gonna out physical you. Uh, and I think they can out physical Mississippi State because Mississippi State is kind of along the lines of Ole Miss, and they come and go as Dak Prescott comes and goes. And and they can, you know, if Dak Prescott struggles, the whole team's gonna struggle. They kind of they kind of rely on him to. Uh, to make things happen, so I think Arkansas can can really get things going. I, I'm I'm impressed that they finally got uh, Brandon Allen involved in the game plan, and they're not so run heavy. Uh, Alex Collins is becoming a special back. Uh, hashtag you're the running back for for the Razorbacks, for the Hogs, and uh, you know their defense is starting to play play better each and every week. And you know they're just a team that just won't quit. You know it doesn't matter. They won't quit. They're going to keep hitting you. They're going to keep lining up. They're going to frustrate you, and and that's what they kind. Of, that's kind of what they do. They frustrate you into making big mistakes. You're starting to kind of see the Wisconsin Bielema, uh come out in, in these hogs. You know they're they're very resilient. They get after you, and they and and they just grind you into submission. And that's what he did at Wisconsin. That's how he won games at Wisconsin. And you can you know you can maybe help me out because you were there. But uh, I'm kind of starting to see Wisconsin Bielema now. Yeah, I mean, I don't think people realized how good uh, some of his quarterbacks were. Obviously, people know about Russell Wilson, but uh, Tolzien put up some good numbers, made the NFL as a backup. So uh, I don't think think Bielema is averse to passing. I just think he likes to have a physical identity – and if that helps set up the pass, so be it. Um, but yeah, I mean, if I think if Bielema could survive without throwing a single pass, he would. But he, I mean, he he knows it's essential and it's it's vital. But he would line up three tight ends, um, and and a power eye and just cram it down your throat if he could. But he knows to survive, you know, he has to do it. You know, he has to get Brandon Allen involved, and that's what he did. Well, let's go from one uh, SEC team with a pretty disappointing performance to another, and that is the Texas A&M Aggies dropped a home game to Auburn. (laughs) You know, I I think think, uh, Matt and I were talking about this game a little bit. Uh, On Thursday, you know, you're you're seeing two teams at a crossroads. You're seeing A&M and Auburn kind of sitting there in the same place. Uh, I didn't think one was going to skyrocket up one was going to skyrocket down in this game. I thought it was going to be more of a shootout than it actually was. It was actually just more of Auburn dominating the whole game. It just didn't seem like, you know, when I would glance at it, um, I kind of watched that game from afar. Um, I was actually at Neighbors in Sylvan Park, and and, uh, and it was on in the background with the Alabama game. So I kind of looked at it from a distance. It just looked like Texas A&M never showed up. Uh, and, and that's just – I don't get it. I really – I really don't get how they can be so good in some matchups and com- be completely non-existent in other matchups. I, I don't get it. Even you know, 
I don't get how teams do that. Georgia does that occasionally, uh, or more frequently, as far as uh, more frequently lately. But I just don't. I, I don't. I don't get it. How can you? Maybe it's just the youth. I, I don't know. I you know maybe it's. I mean, you can't. It's a night game at home, and you lose twenty-six to seven. I I don't get it. Yeah, well, I did some uh, some investigative journalism on on Kevin Sumlin, and he started out at Houston, winning eighteen games with Dana Holgerson as his offensive coordinator. Say what you will about Holgerson at West Virginia as a head coach, uh, the fact is he knows how to run some offense. Uh, Two thousand ten, they uh, they had a drop off. And it was Jason Phillips, who's now at SMU, not a highly regarded as some of the other names. And 2011, Cliff Kingsbury comes in. Houston picks it right back up, wins 12 games, gets the A&M job with Johnny Manziel. Cliff Kingsbury helps them get to 11 wins. And then Cliff goes. And, and since then, things have, have fallen stale a little bit with, with someone, I know nine and eight wins is still impressive, but the the decline is evident, and someone just isn't the same without Cliff or Holgerson running that offense. And I'm thinking he's not the quarterback whisperer we all thought he was with Johnny Manziel. Uh, Kyler Murray, rough outing. Jake Hubnack came in, went five of twelve, didn't get a spark there. Uh, something's weird. Something's weird with Kevin Sumlin. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, it really is. Uh, you know, I, I think it's – I don't know if it's just him trying to hype up the team so much. And he's kind of – I think he's kind of getting away from what made him successful at Houston, uh, no matter what, no matter who his offensive coordinator was. You know, he's always been that guy that's kind of groomed, you know, OCs for head coaching jobs with Holgerson and Kingsbury. He might just get lucky and be able to land Holgerson again and, and everything will be all right in the world. But – uh, I, I, you know, I think he just needs to really take a step back and just evaluate himself and just kind of where he is personally and just kind of how he is with the program. And maybe he just needs to take a look at it and step back and, and, and just go, you know, again, just go back to what you do. You know, go back to being you. I don't think he's him right now. I don't think he's being himself. I think he's just trying to be too much of a – I think he's trying to be – like Dabo Sweeney, uh, and I, I'm not saying that it's an indictment on Dabo Sweeney. I think Dabo Sweeney's the most genuine coach in, in, in college football, beside you know, or one of them at least. Uh, I don't think I think someone trying to trying to do the same thing is disingenuous to himself, and I think he's just kind of getting away from what makes him him. And uh, you know, maybe he needs to get back to it. Uh, but on the flip side, you know, you look at Auburn. Uh, you know, Gus Malzahn needed this win. Badly, his team's struggling all year long. Uh, it was starting to kind of get into the territory of do you go ahead and fire Miles on and blow it up, and start it all over again? Uh, I think that might have been, uh, I think that might have been a little bit panic button, you know, of me to even think about that. But you know, it, it was a legitimate thought that I had. So, uh, you know, some positives you look at it from the Auburn side of things. Muschamp finally finds some answers on how to disrupt a quarterback and how to get how to get something out of his uh, out of his subpar linebackers. Uh, he's getting some great defensive line help from Carl Lawson. Uh, his defensive backfield's young, and you knew they are going to struggle from the start. They're improving each and every week defensively. They're playing hard. They're playing fast. They're flying the football. They're finally starting to kind of buy in 
to what Muschamp is doing on that side of the ball. Uh, looks like Malzahn has found him uh, somebody that can that can get his offense and shepherd his offense through through a game with Sean White. I think uh, the emergence of Javon Robinson really helps out the rushing attack with Peyton Barber and Javon Robinson being a nice one-two punch. Javon Robinson kind of taking over things. Uh, he was a leading rusher, uh, 159 yards on 27 carries, and, and he scored once. So, uh, you know, if you're an Auburn fan, things are looking on the up and up. If you're an A&M fan, you're scratching your head going, you know what? Maybe someone should go and take the Virginia Tech job, or maybe he should go somewhere and uh, be somewhere else, and maybe we can hire Cliff Kingsbury. <laughs> I don't know. That'd be interesting. Because it seemed like Cliff Kingsbury was the, was the brains behind that operation uh, with Johnny Manziel, and it wasn't it wasn't Kevin Sumlin apparently. <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, that's that's a different topic for a different day. That's a that's a Black Monday type of <laughs> podcast as far as that goes. Um, but uh, Auburn, you know, they they're going to take their momentum, but we'll preview their game with Georgia um, if if not in in the in the. Uh, if not in the play action, definitely I'll hit them on a quick slant uh, or a fast screen or however we <laughs> want to say it. Uh, I'll, I'll touch on that game because it's, uh, yeah, it's the Deep South's oldest rivalry. I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about it, especially with, with Auburn building kind of their momentum, playing, starting to play like people thought they were capable of playing. Um, you know, and they, they, I don't know if they found a permanent answer quarterback, but Sean White's definitely serviceable. Well, it was interesting that you talked about Dabo Sweeney because the next game I wanted to talk about was the big showdown in Death Valley, so that's a nice segue. <clears throat> Florida State had the game I'm, tied. I'm segue Jones. Yeah, Florida State had the game tied going in, and then uh, for whatever reason they took the ball out of Dalvin Cook's hands and cost them the game. Their, their last few possessions, uh, they had a punt that um, was caused by just – they had a – False start to make it a second and 15. Then Sean McGuire had a delay of game to make it a second and 20. Well, you can't run there, so stupidity takes it out of Cook's hands. And then their uh, their next series, uh, facing a second and nine, Dalvin Cook has an 11-yard run, and then they pass it three times before punting. Makes no sense. And then, uh, then they had a, uh, you know... The Dalvin Cook turnover on downs, kind of, that sucks. goes against uh, what you would have guessed, that he would have been stopped twice in a row. So maybe that's why uh, they were passing so much before that series, but still confusing that that would happen. And then obviously their last possession was a fumble off of a pass. The wide receiver uh, coughed it up. But uh, why, why in those last few series – Outside of the turnover on downs where Cook got stopped twice at the Clemson 40, why so much passing? Uh, I think Jimbo Fisher outcoached himself, uh, to be honest with you. Um, he, you know, that that's kind of a fatal flaw with, with coaches. You know, I think every coach is guilty of it to some degree. D'Antonio outcoached himself uh, against Nebraska, uh, running it, thinking he was going to chew some clock, and it really didn't chew much clock. And going back to this game, you know, Clemson wasn't stopping Dalvin Cook. Uh, they just weren't. You know, he had that 75-yard touchdown on the second play of the game. You know, he was running rough shot over him. He was controlling the game. And then just all of a sudden, 
all of a sudden they just they just back off the run game. They're saying, okay, well, we got the run game control. We can come back to it anytime we want. Let's dial up some passes. And I, I think they, I think they wanted so bad for Sean McGuire to be the guy that I think they tried to force him into being the guy. And and with that, I just don't think they played as well. And Clemson was able to build some momentum, get a few key stops, and then you know gain a little bit of confidence here and there. And you know Clemson just essentially put on a clinic on how to slowly gain momentum and how to, you know, you hear the expression, Josh, keep chopping wood. That's that's old Greg Schiano saying. Uh, a lot of coaches use it now, but that, you know, that became, you know, relevant with Greg Schiano, keep chopping wood. That's what Clemson did. They just kept chopping wood. They just kept chipping away at it, chipping away at it, building a little bit of confidence here, a little bit of confidence there, kept chipping away at it, chipping away at it, and all of a sudden, boom, they're up by 10, and you're going, what, when, what, what? When did that happen? How did that happen? Why did they stop giving it to, to Dalvin Cook? You know, and that was all coaching, uh, honestly. Uh, you know, as a coach, I don't like to blame the coaches, but I, I, sit, I can't be naive enough to say that sometimes we, as uh, coaches, we, uh, we like to overthink things and outcoach ourselves and, and really just complicate things that don't need to be complicated. You know, we're, we're our own worst enemy in, in some regards because we think we need to force a passing game in there when your run game is just clearly dominating. So that one's on Jimbo. Is Clemson your number one team? Yes. Yes. Right now, yes. Uh, to win a game like they won, uh, to get that Florida State monkey off their back, uh, you know, to change the momentum, to change the tide the way they did, regardless of what happened on Florida State side, um, I think it's huge. Uh, they, they, to me, are probably the most complete team, you know, all around in the playoffs. Or in the playoff scenario, I think they're even more of a complete team than Alabama. I think Alabama is so good up front, they mask a lot of their problems um, because they have Derrick Henry and because they have a couple good offensive linemen. I think they mask their problems in the passing game. I think Coker, if you, if you force Coker to win the game, I don't think he can do it. Uh, they have to rely heavily on the run game, so I don't think they're as, they're as uh, three-dimensional hmm. as Clemson. And I say three-dimensional because I think Clemson is – Really good in, in uh, special teams as well. So I got uh, them fourth. Yeah, that, I think they're my clear number one at this point. I got them fourth. Uh, I think Ohio State's my number two. Uh, Bama's three, and uh, haven't figured out four yet. Well, well, I got the Bucks, Stanford, Alabama, Clemson, and my reservation with Clemson is they had a pretty uninspiring three-point win against Louisville. They tried their hardest to choke away the Notre Dame game. I think if that had been a five, that had been a sixty-five minute game, Notre Dame was going to come back and win. Um, they gave up forty-one points to NC State, and <clears throat> Florida State. I, I I agree with you. I think Jimbo out out thought himself. I I think that a little bit better version of Florida State is probably Alabama, and I think Alabama beats this Clemson team. We'll we'll see it, we'll see it obviously in the playoffs because I don't see Clemson tripping up against Syracuse, Wake, or South Carolina 
And as good as North Carolina has been, I don't think I don't think the heels have the the horses to get that done in the ACC title game. They don't. I mean, they're playing brilliant right now, but I just think I just think uh, Clemson has too many too many guns in the holster. Um, you know, I think the mark of a champion, Josh, and, and it goes beyond uh, is winning those ugly games. Louisville was an ugly game. It was a Thursday night game on the road. Uh, they didn't play their best. They won. Uh, Notre Dame's a great football team, as they're proving. So uh, I don't necessarily think they choked it away. I just think Notre Dame fought their way into it. I think Notre Dame is a lot better than we give them credit for. And, and, and that was I think that turned out to be they got out, they jumped out ahead early. Notre Dame kind of caught themselves back up, but they didn't have enough to – they just ran out of time. So, you know, Notre Dame's only lost one game, and they're being led by Deshaun Kaiser who was their backup quarterback coming in the season. Very impressed with uh, what Notre Dame's doing. Uh, the NC State game was, was a head-scratcher. Their defense probably didn't play as, as well as they should have, but their offense came came to play, and they picked them up, and that's kind of what happens in football. Every once in a while, one phase is going to have to pick up the other, and uh, you know somebody's going to have to pick up somebody, and, and, and that's what they've been doing as a team. They've been picking each other up. You know, When one side falters, the other doesn't. You know, when one side needs a big play, they get it. And then that's what makes a great team. That's the difference. You know, Alabama, when they need a great play, they go and get it. You know, Ole Miss, they're not a great team, but they had a great game in which they needed five great plays against Alabama to win, and they got those five great plays. You know, USC, when they, when they clobbered Utah, they needed four great plays to do so. They got four great plays and set up – what made the difference you know uh oklahoma state four you know four great plays against tcu turned the tide of the game you know it's 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 very you know big play oriented uh football this year and and you know these these big plays are making the difference and clemson just clemson finds a way to do it well we touch on the tar heels the most likely uh player or team to face in the uh in the acc title game Obviously, uh, the only way that it happen it doesn't happen is if North Carolina stumbles twice and Pitt wins out, which seems incredibly unlikely this late in the season. Uh, so let's give some yeah. love to the Tar Heels. This is a team that uh, I'm going to be honest. I've hammered them on my blog. I, I've sometimes hammered them on this show. Uh, they lost to South Carolina. They played two FCS teams, which. Uh, is very very rare my guess is an opponent dropped out and North Carolina scrambled to find something because that's about the only time you ever see two FCS teams on a schedule but uh, hey they're they're eight and one and five and0 oh now and it might not have been the prettiest way to get there but uh, Marquise Williams disguises a lot of potential holes on this team he's playing great almost 500 yards against Duke and uh, 15 touchdowns, seven picks this year, about the same numbers as last year. But, but one big difference is just nine sacks this year. He had 26 last year. He's doing a better job of getting the ball out. And obviously the line in front of him is doing a lot better. And they have a semblance of a running game. I don't think this Tar Heel team can beat Clemson, but if they do, Williams is going to have a huge day, won't he? Yeah, he will. He'll have to. Uh, he won't have a choice. But 
Uh, I just gotta say that, man. Well, I don't want to. I don't want to admit my uh, my wrongness just yet. But were we were we completely way off about Fedora, uh, or did he just make a really good defensive coordinator hired and he's reaping benefits? What what what's going on with with Fedora? And, and I know I hammered him pretty good. Oh, I hammered uh, him too. And, and that was in the pre. I said he was going to be one of the first on the firing line. Well, heck, he's uh, <laughs> he's putting other people out on the firing line. Yeah. He's uh, and and I was even I even stood by it after he outcoached himself in the South Carolina game, and I just said, I mean, and then I look at it week after week. I'm like, well, surely he'll lose this one. <laughs> no, surely he'll lose this one. No. <laughs> okay, well they're playing Duke. Duke, you know, I don't get to say this a lot, but Duke is really good. They're coming off a really tough loss, and oh, I, I you know, Cliff has got them playing at a high level. No, they get killed. Uh, their defense is nasty, uh, or they're playing like it at least. Gene Chizik's done a tremendous job there uh, with the Tar Heels. Uh, Fedora is, is, is really, um, he's really got a good thing going with Marquise Williams. Um, but if they want to beat Clemson, they're going to have to, they're going to have to come out big. They're going to have to come out and play a big one. Uh, and they're going to have to really, really hit on all cylinders. And if they don't hit on all cylinders, Clemson will take advantage of that, and they will destroy them. Uh, if they do hit on all cylinders, it'll be a good game between two really good teams. But I'm starting to kind of buy into what North Carolina's doing, at least for this year. I'm kind of starting to buy into them, and I think they're a really good team, and they're going to provide fits for somebody. Um, I don't, I'm not necessarily – I'm going to have to wait and see with Fedora and see if he can maintain this uh, over the course of next year. Uh or if he gets one of these other bigger jobs, I don't know. Maybe he's parlaying himself into that. That'll be interesting. Gene Chizik might might find his way into one of these jobs. I don't know. Uh, you know, North Texas could find themselves being led by Gene Chizik, and that's not a bad <laughs> deal for them. So, well, let's go for this my... North Carolina team. I'm giving them some love, though. They're, they're playing yeah. some really good football right now. Uh, let's switch gears from a high-scoring game where uh, North Carolina had 66 points and go to the uh, the snoozer, Florida, mm. 9-7 over Vanderbilt. Um, uh. I, I'm going to do something a little unorthodox, to say the least. I'm going to give some praise to Vanderbilt. They got the 12th-ranked defense right now, and... We said they were going to be in for a long year, but for their coach to, to keep his job, we needed to see some improvement outside of areas of the win-loss record. And I think we have. The, the defense has been pretty spirited, to say the least. They got a conference win against Missouri, which is a big uh, benchmark for them. Nearly pulled off the stunner against Florida. I, I think this Vandy team might have a little bit of legs going forward wouldn't surprise me if they stunned a uh, bumbling Kentucky team next week. There's something about this this Commodore team that I kind of like. It's certainly not Johnny McRae, who was 3 of 14 for 30 yards, but Commodore's little little momentum now. Yeah, it certainly doesn't hurt when your head coach is a defensive specialist and he was kind of the architect behind those Rose Bowl uh, Stanford teams uh, defensively. Uh, he took over defensive play calling, and you can tell they're actually playing dominant defense over there. 
Um, and, and the scary part is, is they're not, they don't have the talent level on that side of the ball, but they're playing, you know, they got the 12th ranked defense, but they don't have the 12th best defensive talent. Um, they're playing way above their heads. They're, they, he's putting guys in position to make plays and they're making plays. Uh, they're flying around the football and they're, you know, I think the Vanderbilt, I think the Vanderbilt team has rallied around and they've, they've bought in. I think they've bought in offensively. They still got a lot of work to do. Uh, for for Vandy, they just need to they need to reapproach their recruiting philosophy. Uh, they need to focus on getting what they need to focus on what Stanford focused on in recruiting, uh, especially in the offensive side of the ball. Recruit the big linemen. Recruit the recruit the smart linemen. Uh, recruit kids that you know are going to get into school and qualify, and I think they'll be just fine. I think they're gonna they're never going to out talent you. They're just going to have to outplay you. And right now, they don't have the people to outplay anybody just yet. But defensively, they do. Um, and there's they're going to be you know if they just stick with Derek Mason, I think they have a chance of building something pretty good in Vanderbilt. And and for Vanderbilt, I, I don't think they're ever going to be a national championship contender just because of their administration. But, you know, they're going to be, they're part of my, part of my French here. They're going to be hell on wheels in the future. Uh, they already are. They're giving everybody they play fits defensively. And that's due to Derek Mason. Maybe he needs to hire a better offensive coordinator, somebody that can get their offense going in the right direction. And, and, and we'll see what they got in the future. But I'm, I was impressed with what Vanderbilt did. Uh, and of course with Florida, uh, they were hungover after that huge win against Georgia. They were feeling good about themselves. Well, Vanderbilt came to town, humbled them a little bit. Maybe Jim McElwain will get them going before the uh, or the SEC championship. Uh, the fan in me doesn't want that to happen. The fan <laughs> in me loved that Vanderbilt gave gave them everything they could handle. Um, but uh, the uh, podcaster and me just you know thinks that Florida will just slept walk through that one. To be honest. Well, let's wrap our, our deep outs with, in honor of the professor, a pair of uh, American Conference games. Navy, always pesky, always pesky. I had them ranked uh, as another shameless plug for my blog last week. So not a terrible surprise. Not a terrible surprise I that they beat Memphis. Pesky. Yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't a terrible surprise that they won. I think it was the margin, the final margin of the score was surprising. And then Houston survived everything uh, Cincinnati gave them. So we still have, uh, we got now four ranked American Conference teams. Temple, Navy, Memphis, Houston. Houston, the last undefeated of them. But uh, my God, this conference has some depth. And I love the wide, wide styles of play these teams play. Yeah, absolutely. And then you have Navy come in and contrast them with the uh, the flex bone option on Keenan Reynolds. But um, I'll start with Navy. Um, you know, not not really surprised. Um, I, I think you know I'm not gonna I'm not gonna immediately jump off Memphis's bandwagon and say, oh, they were they were a fraud. They were you know they had to come back down to earth at some point. But you know they're Memphis. They were going to have a game like this, and and Navy's a very well coached, well very seasoned, senior heavy team. Uh, Keenan Reynolds is probably one of the best people in the United States of America. Uh, he's probably one of the best leaders 
in the United States of America, and that's good because he's going to be a naval officer. So I guess that's a great quality to have. Uh, you know, for Navy to do what they do, they you know they just they're a well-oiled machine. Uh, Memphis, I just don't think they were ready for that. You know, uh, and that's not an indictment on them. That's not an indictment on Justin Fuente, but um, I just think they kind of ran into a buzzsaw there. Uh, Houston, uh, just. I didn't watch the game. It just seems like they just they were just off and, and they had to find a way to win towards the end. Uh, they probably got they got off to a slow start. Uh, you know, Ward had two interceptions. Uh, you know, it looks like they turned it over a few times. Gunnar Keel had 523 yeah. yards. That certainly helps. Four touchdowns. He threw two picks. But you know, when you when you throw for that kind of that kind of number, you know, certainly helps your production uh, as far as that goes. Um, Ward was all, Ward Jr. was also your leading rusher for for Houston. So um, I don't know. It just seemed like just seemed like an off game for them. Cincinnati's not anything special, uh, but Cincinnati plays you tough. Tough, you know. Tommy Tuberville gets them. You know they play hard for him. They play clean. They play sound. Uh, and they they played hard, gave them fits, but they found a way to win. Um, UCF. Poor guys are still winless. I had to throw <laughs> that in there. They're still winless. They 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 lost forty five to thirty to Tulsa. Ugh. They might call me for the head coaching job. <laughs> I might turn it down. Well, um, well, and then then you have Temple sixty to forty. Ooh! Wow, that was a fun um, game. Yeah, I wanted. That to, was a fun game. I wanted points. to. I wanted to circle back to that Navy game just real quick, and I think one thing probably lost in in it all. And I mean, you brought up Keenan Reynolds. He's a, heck of a player, but Ken Niamatololo, he's a hell of a coach. He's up to 64-36 and 36 at the Naval Academy. He's won eight games or more every year outside of one. And, I mean, he's doing it with, let's be honest, Navy's not going to get the best athletes. They're going to get smart kids. They're going to get really strong kids, but down in the trenches, they're still undersized. Yeah, I mean, you know, they're they're getting, you know, Van, they're looking at Vanderbilt going, my God, I wish we could match their talent. Um, <laughs> but that, I mean, maybe they, maybe Vanderbilt needs to hire Ken Niamatololo yeah. and just have Derek Mason as their defensive coordinator. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, um, as much love as we give Justin Fuente, and he certainly deserved it, Niamatololo runs a machine up there in Annapolis. Oh yeah, and and, and I'll be the first one to say. In every conversation, Ken Niamatololo is one of my favorite coaches. Uh, not just because he can win me a Scrabble game, but um, you know that guy. <laughs> I was I was talking to somebody earlier uh, about Navy and about uh, Georgia Tech, and somebody was saying, "Well, you know, maybe Ken Niamatololo will follow Paul Johnson at Georgia Tech." Well, Ken Niamatololo runs Paul Johnson's system better than Paul Johnson runs Paul Johnson's system. <laughs> um, and, and, and I think it has to do with personalities, to be honest with you. I think Niamatololo is, is willing to adapt and change and, and kind of go with the flow of the game and not be so stubborn. I think Paul Johnson is just kind of, you know, square peg, round hole. He's going to try to jam it in there and make it fit. And when it's not fitting, he takes some embarrassing losses. I think Niamatololo is the exact opposite. If it's not going to fit, he's going to go find that, that round peg to go in that round hole. Um, or if it's a square peg, he's going to find the square hole to put it into, um, and then he's going to put it in there. And I think he's just going to make it work. 
you know, he's gonna find he's gonna find the solution. He's gonna find the answer, and not, you know, and it just comes with his personality. He's a he's a brilliant guy, uh, and he just kind of understands and, and feels the flow of a game. And when it comes to coaching, that's the most important part. I, you know, I, I'm a huge fan of Neymar Lolo, and, and and I want him. He, he, I don't think he's ever going to leave the Naval Academy. He may, he may not. I don't know. I don't know that he'll get any offers. Um, but if a team wants to do, you know, the flex bone triple option, Ken Niamatololo is your guy. Maybe, maybe he come, maybe Hawaii comes calling. I don't know. Maybe the Naval Academy is a better situation, a better fit for him than Hawaii is. I don't know. But it'll be interesting to see. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how Navy finishes out the season. Uh, I, I always root for them. They're my favorite. You know, they're they're my favorite American uh, American athletic conference team. So, uh, big win for the for the midshipmen. All right. Well, uh, we're gonna wrap the show up, but I know you wanted to touch on uh, the daily soap opera at Athens, and I wanted to touch on a uh, little bit of a Pac-12 uh, team gonna throw some monkey wrenches down the stretch. So uh, I'll let you talk about your dogs. Well, first, uh, you know, the, the whole mess going on in Columbia, Missouri. Um, oh, I was going to end on that as the, the final capstone, but, yeah, we can go oh, there, okay. too. Oh, okay. Well, uh, yeah, let, I guess we can dive right into it. Um, <laughs> a huge racial mess, a huge uh, confusing situation going on with some racial tensions, but um, all of that was solved when the president resigned and uh, Missouri resumed practice. That's really all I'm going to say about it i don't really want to dive into this huge political discussion but yeah um, i think you know um i think the whole story has reached an end in terms of the athletic participation but it's just getting started for the rest of that campus because removing the president isn't going to cure all but it's interesting that he, the president came from a business background, not an academic background, and it's clear that he was not equipped to handle what had transpired on that campus. And as a, honestly, a fan of Iowa, we just announced a new president, and he comes from a business background, not an academic background. And it is a little disconcerting that you have someone with not with a non-academic background running an academic institution. It'll be interesting to see uh, if other schools sort of re-examine their presidential uh, hiring process and all that. But uh, yeah, a lot of it's it's the work has just begun at Missouri. But from a football podcast standpoint, it it seems like it's done in terms of Gary Pinkle's participation. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he did the right thing backing his team and supporting his team. I think that goes a long way into uh, into getting your guys to buy in and believe. But, um, you know, hopefully for the university's sake and hopefully for the, the entire student body's sake that that mess gets figured out um, and they get the right guy in there. You know, you hate to see so many people's education being potentially ruined because of a uh, – some racial stuff going on and some 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 things that could have been prevented not being prevented so um that being said uh i'm, I'm gonna get into the soap opera that is uga football um 
Josh, you weren't around when when we did our first in chapter one of as uh, as the Ugga turns. <laughs> um, you know, obviously coming off the Florida game, Rick was on the hot seat. Uh, his seat was red hot. People were calling for his head. Uh, there was rumors swirling about Jeremy Pruitt and everything that he was doing, stuff that he was doing, stuff that Brian Schottheimer was doing, the shouting matches that were ensuing at practice, the 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 physical altercations, the uh, the soap opera of people going to the you know going to the boosters trying to get your AD and head coach fired behind their back and all kinds of drama. Um, it seems that. Uh, the Friday, everything was, you know, Mark Rick tweets out, Jeremy, you know, Jeremy Pruitt was supposed to get fired on Friday and wasn't going to be allowed to coach in the in the game, and he was going to be out and gone. Um, but there's a tweet that was sent out by Mark Rick saying Jeremy Pruitt is still our defensive coordinator. <laughs> kind of put a uh, kind of put it into all those rumors. Uh, it seemed like everything was in good harmony as they won 27 to three against a very hapless Kentucky team. Uh, seems that no matter who you, a win is a win is a win is a win. And it seems to cure a lot of a lot of disharmony going on in that staff. Now it seems like things are hunky and or dory <laughs> in the state of Athens, but they've taken another butt kicking uh, this weekend and, and things go right back on, on the other side of it. Um, it it's very I don't want to say interesting, uh, but it is. It's fascinating, really. Uh, that's, that's the right word. Fascinating to see the emotional swings of Georgia fans. I've seen it for years, but this year it's been, you know, at its all-time worst as far as as far as going from, you know, fire him tonight, don't let him get off the bus, to uh, I still love him. He's our coach. I support him no matter what. You know, just the mood swings of it all. It's very – as is very soap opera-ish to me. So uh, <laughs> that's my latest installment. Everything's honky dory. Nice. Well, I want, seem, or seems to be at least. I want to end on a team that I think a lot of people forgot about, and that is uh, I was filling out my ballot, and I got down to my 25th ranked team. I ultimately went with Memphis just on their strength of uh, the Ole Miss win, <laughs> and also I think the Bowling Green win was very impressive. But uh, that's the USC Trojans. They are six oh. and three. Four and two in conference. They've ripped off three straight since the Notre Dame loss, which obviously was uh, their interim coach's first game. And they lost two in a row, and the Washington game was obviously Coach Sark's last game. So they seem to have righted the ship. They have a big tiebreaker over Utah. Utah, you know, still has UCLA. They might stumble. We, we don't know. Uh, USC, though, if they get that rematch against Stanford, that's going to be interesting. This is, I don't think anyone wants a part of this USC team down the stretch. And No, they absolutely don't. Uh, they absolutely <laughs> don't. I think, I think Utah and Stanford are both saying, whew, glad they lost three games. Glad they're 4-2 in conference. Glad we have that buffer. Uh, we don't plan on losing another game. Uh, I think they're both relieved because they are they're not on a steady rise. They are they're rocket shipping, you know, out of the gates. I think Clay Helms done a tremendous job as interim coach, uh, getting that team ready to play week in and week out. Yeah, the, there could be 
There could be a three-loss Pac-12 champion if USC continues this trajectory and Utah stumbles, like I said. Which yeah. I, I don't think a lot of people remembered that the Trojans still existed. So, well, uh, that is everything that we wanted to talk about. Feels like uh, feels like we had a long show in terms of what my recording software is saying where we're at time-wise. But, Coach, i got to be honest, this flew by. I, I don't think we even need the professor for any more shows. We might just have to write him off. Write him off no, for the show. No, he can. Uh, he can. He, 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 yeah, he, I know. He, uh... We'll write a, uh, I guess we'll write a, uh, a drug problem into the skit or into the uh, script, and uh, we'll, get, we'll get them written off the show. <laughs> uh, exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, it, it was fun. Uh, it was fun doing it with you, Josh. Uh, yeah, mix it think, up a little bit. I think bit. we, uh, I think we had an action-packed show. We had a lot to talk about. There's a lot that went on this weekend, so yeah, obviously a lot to cover. So this weekend kind of uh, reminded good show. Yeah, this weekend kind of reminded me of a golf tournament where they say uh, Saturday you don't is moving day. I felt like a lot of teams moved up or down, and the tournament clear picture became a tad clearer with a few teams losing. Yeah, I think your Sunday pair. I think you're getting very, uh, very close to determining your your Sunday pairings here. Um, um, if I'm speaking golf tournament lingo, yeah, um, that's that's good. But, uh, yeah, lingo. it was a just a side note. Uh, we are the Illegal Motion Podcast, and if you're not listening to us by now, I don't know what the heck you're doing. Uh, you're missing out. Um, but uh, check us out as always. Uh, we you can follow us on Facebook, you can follow us on Twitter. Uh, you can uh, just catch us anywhere you want. Let us know. Give us some good feedback. Yep. If uh, you know. We uh, we're certainly out there. We want to uh, we want to raise awareness exactly to the greatness exactly. that is the professor, the blogger, and the coach for uh, sure. So you know we, we make a good team, uh, and and we, we certainly we certainly bring you the college football action each and every week from all four corners of the country. So uh, again, if you're not with us, you're missing out. Couldn't have said it better myself. For the coach down in Nashville, I'm Josh. We'll be back full strength Thursday night when we preview the next week of football. Thanks, as always, for downloading. All right. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.